Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about everything real estate for the real estate interested. We're a real estate company of 300 people advising buyers and sellers from first-time condo purchasers to large-scale developers so they can make smart and informed real estate decisions. We made this podcast as a concise and consumable way to share our passion for homes, housing, community, and cities. We hope that this will spark the same curiosity in you that we have for everything real estate. All of the documents and links mentioned in this podcast are available on our website at rennie.com. In today's episode of the Rennie Podcast, we're doing things a little differently. In addition to Ryan and I both recording remotely from our respective homes, this podcast will mimic a regular day at the office for the both of us. Just two members of the intelligence team discussing the latest residential real estate data across the Vancouver region for November 2020. I'm Bowen Bean Posey. I'm a business data analyst here at Rennie, and sitting across from me virtually is Ryan Berlin. How are you today? I'm great, Bowen. How are you doing? Not too bad. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Ryan, and tell us a little bit about the uh, intelligence team? Sure thing. So uh, I'm a senior economist and director of intelligence here at Rennie. Bowen and I are both on the intelligence team. Our team is a bunch of numbers people. Uh, we, we believe that good decisions are uh, rooted in good data. Um, and so we spend our days trying to help our organization, um, our advisors, and our clients really better understand our ever-changing market. So that's that's really what we do in a nutshell. That's great. So uh, how are things? Any holiday plans, Ryan? That's a great question. I wish I did have holiday plans, but it, it looks like uh, I'll be spending the, the Christmas break with uh, the members of my household, like a good law-abiding citizen. But, you know, there's some silver linings to that as well. Definitely the calendar is a little more freed up, fewer social engagements. So maybe some extra time to unwind. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think uh, I think we all are, but uh, definitely looking forward to at least spending some some quality time with, with the household. Great. So in today's episode, we'll go over these three key insights. Number one, there was over 5,000 sales in November, making it a strong fall in terms of demand. Number two, the south of Fraser markets were more active than north of Fraser. Number three, we're seeing more tailwinds versus headwinds for housing in the region for 2021. Why don't you kick us off with insight number one, over 5,000 sales here in November. Thanks, Juan. Well, there's certainly a a spring in the step of of our fall market, as you noted, over 5,000 sales last month uh, across the Vancouver region. And for us, the Vancouver region includes both the Greater Vancouver and the Fraser Valley board areas. The Greater Vancouver board area runs from Pemberton all the way through to Maple Ridge in the east. And the Fraser Valley includes all of the communities that are south of the Fraser River out to the east, inclusive of Abbotsford. So, you know, for this functional you know, real estate market, over 5,000 sales, it makes it the, the third most November sales we've ever had on record and the most November sales we've had since since 2015. So just to give it a bit more historical context, last month's sales count was, was 34% higher than uh, November of last year. So about a third more sales than the same month in 2019, and 43% more than the past decade average for November. And so this is on the heels of a really strong August, September, and October. October sales count regionally was 52% higher than the past decade average for October. And September, going back to sort of the end of summer, beginning of fall, we had sales that were 61% higher than our typical September sales count. 
and, you know, that gives us five straight months now of, you know, 5,000 or more sales. And that's the first time that we've, we've experienced that in five consecutive months since the, the early months of 2016. And I think it's useful to note when we talk about there being a spring, uh, you know, spring in the step of the fall market, really this fall looks like a spring market. Typically in the spring, we have between 4,800 and 5,200 sales in a month. That's between March and May. And so we're we're sort of right in in the middle of that in that in that band for the fall. Um, a lot of this is being driven by uh, the ground oriented segment of the market, so detached homes and townhomes. Sales are about fifty percent higher than average in November. But you know what? The condo market is also elevated. We're seeing sales that are thirty one percent above the November average. So I think we've we've made this point before. COVID is clearly impacting the uh, mix of homes that that uh, buyers are seeking. Uh, at the margin, we know that you know larger homes with a little bit more outdoor space have been transacting uh, at a at a faster rate compared to last year and 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 compared to the long term average. But we're also seeing COVID impact the seasonal pattern of change. So here we are in the throes of you know a fall market and the later stages of a fall market. Typically, when demand is starting to taper off and certainly new supply is drying up, people aren't listing their homes as we head into the holidays. We generally see the market slow down on both the supply and the demand side of the market. But based on what we're seeing uh, in terms of sales activity, it really does feel like springtime. And, you know, it it was kind of evident that we saw suppressed sales due to COVID um, in those, you know, late March, April, May months. Um, But we've seen quite the run in terms of demand here. So is this all COVID related demand or are there, you know, other things at play? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I think, I think it's, it's quite clear that COVID did generate a bunch of pent up demand and did delay uh, a number of purchases uh, across the region, but that alone does not explain everything that we're experiencing and have been experiencing over the past few months. So in other words, another way to look at it is to say that, you know, if, if what we're seeing now is simply just delayed purchases, i.e. they didn't happen in the spring, now they're happening in the fall, typically they do happen in the spring, they don't happen in the fall, then one might reason that when you look at the total number of sales from January through November, that whether it was a typical year or a COVID year, we would register a similar number of total sales. But that's actually not the case. So the way that we look at it is, you know, we look at the first three months of the year, January through March, and more or less, that was our pre-COVID period. That was basically a normally functioning market. Um, if we look at those first three months and then we consider what a typical seasonal pattern of change is from there or month over month change from March through November, then, and we add everything up, all the sales in 2020 through November, we would have registered about 37,000 home sales regionally in the first 11 months of the year. The thing is, we've actually seen 45,000 sales. So that's 8,000 more than we would have seen if if the year had followed that typical seasonal pattern. So the question is like there's clearly there are clearly other factors at, at play. The question is what are they? Well, I think one of them is probably interest rates. They're extremely low. I think that's enticing some purchasers to participate in the market now rather than wait for rates to go up. We've said it here before, we do not believe rates are going to go up anytime soon, but nevertheless, they're so low, they're very enticing, and people want to make sure they don't miss out. So I think we're seeing some future purchases brought forward, you know, 
purchases that would have occurred in future months and even future years that are happening now because people want to take advantage of, of cheap money. Um, so we're seeing that. And I think at the, at the margin, we might be seeing a degree of flight from riskier investments like stocks, even though they, you know, stock markets have performed extremely well since the depths of the pandemic back in May. Uh, but that market, those markets, those indexes are still very volatile. And so we might see certain investors, uh, specifically older ones, baby boomers, empty nesters, uh, who are looking for a little bit more stability and less risk uh, associated with their investments. And they might be putting some of that money into hard assets like real estate. So I think there's probably not one factor that explains everything, but it's probably a little bit of everything that we're seeing right now. And you know, for our listeners who, who may be buying a home or selling a home in the region, what does this mean for, for them? Yeah, I think it's very clear that buyers are uh, excited. <laughs> They're very active. So I think recognizing that dynamic in the marketplace, if selling is on your mind, if it's something that you intended to do in the near future, you know, you might think about listing your home now, especially as supply sort of dries up through uh, late December and into early January. But I think if you're if you're a buyer, you've got to know that you're you're competing with lots of other buyers right now, specifically in certain price bands. I mean, the very very expensive stuff, you know, there's still less competition for that for luxury homes. But if you're looking at detached properties, you know, in the range of, you know, a million and a half bucks or less, if you're looking at condos, you know, between 750 and a million, there are a lot of people out there competing for those types of homes. And so I think it's important to make strong offers and, and to do your due diligence and do it efficiently, quickly, so that you're able to take advantage of opportunities, buying opportunities when they arise. So that's a lot of commentary on the demand side of the market, but I know the story is quite different on the supply side. Yeah, for sure, Ryan. Let's jump right into it. So as we've noted in the past few intelligence podcasts, inventory has remained constrained here in November. Um, we're down 16% uh, here in 2020 year to date versus 2019. And this is down for all product types. So 25% for detached, down 20% for townhome and 2% for condo. Now, when we look at the year over year inventory um, changes, we're seeing a bit of a different story. We have ground-oriented inventory, which is remaining constrained by double digits versus last year and compared to the past decade average. On the other hand, condos are actually up 23% versus last year and also up versus the past decade average. So there's kind of two stories happening with the ground-oriented inventory remaining constrained where we're seeing condo inventory slowly increase. And this is something that we noted last, uh, last podcast. And I think that's a function of the differential pattern of sales that we're seeing as well, uh, because sales are so robust for detached homes and townhomes that it's eating into uh, existing inventory, where that's less less so the case on the condo side of the market. Yeah, for sure. That that ground oriented, you know, inventory is, is getting you know eaten up a little bit more quickly. Yeah, and these dynamics are, are obviously having influence on pricing. We see the detached benchmark price up ten percent year over year and up one point two percent versus last month. Uh, kind of similar story with townhome up 6% year over year, up 0.2 versus last month. But for condo, where we're seeing this bump in inventory, condo prices are up 4% year over year, but they actually decrease 0.7% month over month. So again, a little bit uh, of a different story here when we're looking at ground oriented versus condos, uh, even when looking at pricing. So we've gotten the full picture on demand, inventory, and pricing in the Vancouver region. But let's jump into insight number two, where the south of the Fraser markets have been more active than those north of the Fraser. 
November sales were 76% higher in the Fraser Valley board area versus 28% higher in the greater Vancouver board area. So Ryan, we were wondering if you could maybe um, speak to this a little bit. Yeah. So on a year over year basis, we're seeing relatively larger increases in sales activity in the so-called south of the Fraser markets. And essentially what we're talking about there is, you know, markets within the Fraser Valley board area. So, you know, we're seeing uh, Surrey, Langley, and Abbotsford in particular, with some of the fastest year-over-year increases in sales within the region. I think part of that is price point driven, that for a given amount of money, a household can get more home. Uh, And in the time of COVID, as we know, you know, at the margin, again, people are looking for a little bit more space. But also, we know that the Fraser Valley is where so many ground-oriented homes are located. Uh, And of course, at a lower price point, the discount that the south of Fraser markets trade at in terms of the average MLS sales price to the north of Fraser markets uh, is about 30%. That's not a, a COVID phenomenon, but I think in times like these where people are looking to make a move now, again, bringing their purchase forward, trying to take advantage of low rates, looking for more space, that does manifest itself in more activity in the south of Fraser markets. So I think it underscores a broader observation about our market, that our housing market here in the Vancouver region is becoming more diversified than it's ever been. So in other words, we're seeing more and more sales occur in south of the Fraser over time, not just during COVID. For example, we're seeing about 50, last month in November, we saw 50% of uh, detached sales and townhome sales occur in south of the Fraser markets with the other 50% occurring in north of the Fraser markets. That is relatively high in a historical context. Uh, typically, detached homes in the Fraser Valley account for 43% of detached sales regionally, and townhomes in the Fraser Valley account for 45% of regional townhome sales. So we're a little bit above average there. And I think this is a great thing for buyers, that we are seeing a diversification of our market and a broadening geographically of our market. Because everybody's always trading off between, you know, affordability and size and location. And so what's happening over time as our, you know, our urban environment and our employment landscape grows, diversifies and you know, spreads into the valley, we're seeing that buyers have, have more choice than ever. Um, you know, and this is happening alongside an economy that traditionally has been really, really focused on the city of Vancouver and downtown Vancouver. And it's becoming more spatially diverse. What we're also going to experience in the next, possibly within the next 10 years, uh, is that the namesake city for this region, Vancouver, the city of Vancouver, won't even be the region's biggest city. Wait, so Vancouver won't be the largest city in the region in 10 years? Uh, I guess we're all assuming it'll be Surrey, but can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, that's that's a great guess, if it was a guess. Uh, I mean, depending on whose projection you look at, uh, we do know that the population of the city of Vancouver and the city of Surrey both are growing, but the city of Surrey is growing relatively rapidly, uh, adding between you know 1,000 to 1,200 people per month, uh, which is essentially double what the city of Vancouver is growing at. So the populations of the two cities have been converging for some time, and we expect that to continue over the coming years. Part of that, whether it's 10 years from now, 8 years, 15 years, what we do know is that when you look at the types of homes that are being uh, built in Surrey, 
greater focus on ground-oriented accommodation, uh, detached homes, and larger townhomes that accommodate many more people than a new addition to the dwelling stock in the city of Vancouver, where there is less land, it's therefore more expensive, and so the city builds, city of Vancouver builds smaller homes and therefore yields fewer people per home. So even though both cities are growing and both cities are adding a lot of housing, the city of Surrey's housing stock is yielding more population. And so I think, you know, as that happens, the city as a whole, city of Surrey is going to become more dynamic. We know a lot of that growth is slated for downtown Surrey. And as the population grows and as the population diversifies, it's going to have an implication for the job base too. And we're going to see a more dynamic cultural scene, social scene and employment base there. So there's a lot of exciting changes on the horizon, I think. For sure. Sounds like downtown Surrey and more broadly Surrey seems like an exciting place to be right now. Mm-hmm. And we'll just jump right into insight number three, where there'll be more housing tailwinds than headwinds in 2021. Ryan, what do you mean by that? So when we talk about tailwinds and headwinds for a market, we're talking about, in the in the case of tailwinds, things that are supporting a market and driving it forward versus headwind, which are factors that might slow it down. Really right now, what we're seeing in our housing market here in the Vancouver region is a confluence of factors that are reinforcing the fundamentals and the foundation of our market. So let me start by uh, exploring some of the headwinds. I mean, first and foremost, very exciting news. Canada has approved two new COVID vaccines. We expect to have almost 250,000 doses delivered by the end of the year. Here in BC, we'll get around 33,000. The doses are being divided up based on uh, population amongst the provinces. You know, initially, it's going to be elderly residents in long-term care facilities and the associated staff in those facilities. And then they'll work through other segments of the population, Canadians aged 80 plus, uh, and working down from there, people who are immunocompromised, who will be prioritized in the first few months of, of 2021. And we have another 20 million doses that are on the way for 2021 delivery and options for 56 million more. So really, this is a huge logistical challenge, but we can finally, you know, be hopeful that you know there is an end to the pandemic and the social distancing and all of the associated impacts that that's had on, on all of us. So the optimism that comes along with that and the realities of that are going to create a boon for the markets for almost everything, I believe. We're going to see employment uh, return to its full, what, what we call its full employment level. Right now, employment's at 97% of the level that it was at the beginning of the pandemic. So we still have a ways to go until we get back to where we were in February. But our unemployment rate here in Metro Vancouver has come down from 14.2% at its peak back in the spring down to 7.4%. You know, that's still almost double what the unemployment rate was at the beginning of this year. But it's a huge, huge improvement in our labor market. And of course, the more people that are employed, the more people that are earning wages and income that can afford housing, that can afford to go out to restaurants, afford to support and participate in uh, the broader economy. So that's all you know, very, very good news uh, that is really right around the corner. And Ryan, just to interject there, would you say that these employment numbers have been uh, you know, a welcome surprise for, for a lot of people throughout this year? 
in terms of recovery, not uh, not the initial numbers, of course. That's a good question. Um, I think that the path to recovery was always very, very uncertain. You know, we still have a little bit of a ways to go before we are back to where we would have otherwise been had there been no COVID. But I think a lot of positive signs with the unemployment rate as low as it is. Uh, I think for most economists or most prognosticators, we are in better shape than, than we had hoped to be at the end of 2020, for sure. Uh, other tailwinds for our market here, immigration to Canada, which was down by about 50% this year. We had about, you know, by the by the end of 2020, we estimate we will have uh, had 195,000 immigrants to Canada, about half of our target of 350,000. The Canadian government now has increased uh, the targets for immigration over the next three years to over 400,000 in each of the next three years, up to 421,000 in 2023. That's going to bring a lot of new people into Canada and into our metropolitan markets and specifically into Metro Vancouver. And those targets are above what the pre-COVID targets were. So we can expect as the vaccine is rolled out, as employment moves back to its full employment level, that we are going to see immigration play a bigger, bigger role in filling new jobs and supporting housing demand. We have a lot of pent up demand already in our market. You know, we've estimated and we've shared that on previous episodes of this podcast that through the first six months of this year, we saw about 11,000 transactions that did not happen that would have normally happened uh, had there been no COVID. Since then, about 6,000 of those transactions have occurred. So we have about 5,000 homes worth of pent up demand that still needs to be realized. So again, that's going to support the demand side of the market. Uh, also supporting the demand side of the market is low interest rates. We Everybody heard about the bank who shall not be named, who is offering a sub 1% mortgage rate. It's a variable rate for insured borrowers. Um, that's the lowest in Canadian history. But outside of that, we're seeing mortgage rates, a five-year fixed rate for uninsured borrowers in the range of 1.5 to 1.8. So historically low rates. Um, and again, the Bank of Canada today at its meeting committed to keeping interest rates low, essentially where they are through 2023. So there are a few other factors as well, like the first-time homebuyer incentive, which has been augmented to make it easier for first-time homebuyers to access the ownership market. And we also have $150 billion estimated in savings on the part of both households and businesses through the pandemic that we expect will be deployed in the next year or two in various capacities. And housing is probably one of the markets where we will see that money deployed specifically. So, you know, I think we are set for a very, very active 2021. We need to be cognizant of the fact that we're uncertain about the path of COVID through next year. Uh, we hope that the vaccine does the trick, but we don't actually know at this point. So there's some risk there. And I think also the other big risk for people and for the confidence of markets is the huge increase in public debt due to government borrowing. And while uh, my sense is that it, it's, the government has borrowed an unprecedented amount of money, interest rates are so low that the cost to carry that debt is also very, very low and also therefore manageable. So there are some risks balancing out some of these reasons for optimism, but I think on the whole, uh, there's a lot to look forward to in 2021. Wow. So a ton of great information there, Ryan. What should our listeners take away from it? Yeah, I think in a nutshell, what this all means is that, you know, for the Vancouver region housing market, 
that 2021 is likely to be more active than 2020. You know, I expect demand to be supported. So I think that we'll see a lot of sales uh, relative to this year. I think that there's not a lot of evidence pointing to an increase in supply, an increase in new listings or a build up in inventory. And so when you consider the factors on the demand side of the market and the supply side, um, really what it points to is continued increases in prices. Because we see a lot of factors supporting demand uh, and no real reason to believe that supply will expand appreciably, I think those two factors are going to support continued price increases. So I think if you're a home buyer with the will and the means, you're looking for a home now, waiting on the sideline for any kind of, you know, quote unquote, correction or adjustment in the market to the benefit of buyers, I don't believe that it's likely to materialize next year. Likely, you'll just the longer a buyer waits through 2021, I think the more likely it is that that buyer will pay a little bit more for their home with potentially fewer options to choose from. Well, that wraps up this episode, and it's our last intelligence episode of the year. And what a year it has been. We'd like to thank each and every listener for tuning in and for supporting the Rennie podcast. We hope we were able to provide you with valuable real estate knowledge and insight. Most importantly, we hope it has made you more curious and more empowered to make real estate decisions. As always, find additional intelligence information on rennie.com intelligence, including our latest Rennie review. To receive this information straight to your inbox, simply register for intelligence updates. Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thanks, Bowen. It's been a lot of fun. Let's do this again in January when we'll take a look back at 2020 in full. Happy holidays, everyone. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production. It's recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thanks for listening.